Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. In the early 2000s, I was a recent college graduate. I uh, finished uh, my studies. I walked across the stage, which so many did not get to do and currently aren't doing right now. And I got to receive my diploma, which was a bachelor's degree in English, literature, rhetoric, composition. And my plan all throughout college had been uh, that I would probably go on to law school. That's what I thought I was going to do. And different story for a different time, but that uh, became clear that was not what I was supposed to do. And so I was kind of left without much of a plan. I hadn't gotten my teaching certificate, which probably would have been a really good idea. And I, like many liberal arts majors, found myself uh, staring into the abyss of what could I possibly do to earn some money. So I started networking as many do, and honestly, as many people are trying to do right now to figure out uh, how to navigate their own unemployment. And so I was talking to anybody and everybody. Like if you were a friend of mine, or if you were a friend of a friend, I wanted to have coffee with you and talk about your work and try to figure out how I could possibly get a job. So one day I was uh, in one of these meetings. I went and met uh, someone for coffee. Let's call him Bob. Bob was a friend of a friend. I don't even know how I got connected to Bob. I don't remember hardly anything about him, but I remember that he worked in advertising. And I just thought, hey, I'm pretty good with words. I know how to write. I think, you know, this would be a valuable skill to bring to this industry. Didn't know the first thing about advertising, but just thought, let's try this. So Bob and I are having a cup of coffee. And I remember it was a pleasant enough conversation. He seemed like a nice guy. Seemed like he was um, at least open to the idea that he could help me find a job. And we were talking and uh, the conversation starts to wrap up. No job offer, no nothing. And, you know, my 22-year-old brain kind of starts to go into shutdown mode. Like, okay, back to the drawing board. When all of a sudden Bob says to me, hey, can I give you some feedback? And... I said, sure, although I didn't know this guy at all. Like I said, he was a friend of a friend. I don't even remember how the initial connection came about. And what he said to me was, uh, your emails are terrible. (laughs) You're terrible at sending email. And I just sat there stunned. Like, who the heck are you, buddy? Like, I'm an English major. I know my, my way with words. I'm a good communicator. My professors all like me. 
like, how dare you tell me that I'm not good at being able to express something in written form? Like, that's what I do. I didn't say any of that, of course, but I was certainly feeling it. And so what he said to me was, look, just a couple of tips. Writing an email is not the same thing as writing a paper for your English class. You're too long. I don't want to read a bunch of paragraphs about how things are going for you. Just get to the point. Uh, you're too frequent. You're sending me multiple emails a week. I don't need that many emails from you. I know you need a job. And uh, finally, sort of the, the cherry on top was, um, you're too casual. You shouldn't start a business letter, business form of communication with the phrase, hey man, that's not appropriate for the business setting. Now, again, had I gone to business school or studied something different, I might have learned some of these things, maybe not. I think these are things that we all kind of learn when we trip and fall our way into adulthood. But I just remember sitting there being kind of stunned. Like, yeah, I don't think I can argue with him on this. But what was really at risk in that moment was not, am I going to get a job? Am I ever going to figure this out? Eventually, I did find a job. But what it said to me was, I needed to examine a part of my life where I had a lot of pride. I had a lot of pride about my ability to write and to communicate with words. I thought I had it down cold at 22 years old. How many things do we think we have down cold at 22 years old, by the way? And I was shocked that this stranger that I didn't even know with a few words could just sort of dig a tunnel underneath my pride and kind of puncture it. One of my contentions about today's text, one of my theses, if you will, is that there's a puncturing of pride that's happening here. And we'll get into what that means for these folks in the ancient church in this story in just a moment. But I want to hold out to you, what might be a place of pride for you? Maybe it is like me, uh, being good at being able to communicate or thinking that you're good at it. Maybe it's your prowess with a certain technical program or your ability to architecture this amazing org chart and you can figure out where people go. Maybe it's that you're a really skilled counselor and you know how to talk people through some of the greatest crises they'll ever face. All those skills are so vital and valuable. That's part of who we are. It's part of how God's gifted us. And I'm not suggesting that we reject all of that. What I'm asking is, has, have those things become a place of pride for us? And what do we need to do with that? As I mentioned at the beginning of worship, there's this incredible transformation that happens in this passage alone, which is describing the community known as the church. It's the family of God. It's people who through no other relationship belong together, and that is the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we see this transformation because in verse 37, the beginning of our passage, the text says that this group of people, they're cut to the heart. They're wounded. In other words, like my conversation with Bob, they've had something punctured, and maybe it was their pride. And then at the end of the passage, in verse 46, their hearts are described very differently. Their hearts are described as glad and sincere, both of which are really lame translations of some beautiful Greek words, which we'll get into in just a moment. But how do you make that shift between a punctured heart, a heart that's cut, and a heart that is glad and sincere? How do you achieve this type of community that, that's stated here in the middle of this passage, a community that is so outwardly focused that they take care of the needs of everybody around them. A community that is 
able to sell all their stuff and just give it into the common good. What does that even look like? Like many of us would read that and go, okay, yeah, like, is that even possible? What I want to try to get at today is how that might be possible and how our hearts might need a similar transformation, do need a similar transformation. So three very brief points. And then we're actually going to spend a chunk of our time remaining in worship in a discussion group, a breakout session, because we got a ton of positive feedback on that last week. So we want to use that again. The three points are this, if you kind of want to follow the outline, it's all about the heart. What is the heart? How does the heart change? And why does this matter? What is the heart? How does it change? And why does this matter? First, what is the heart? In this particular text, uh, the Greek word being used for heart is cardia. That's where we get cardiology, cardiogram. It's the Latin word cardio, which refers to the heart. And in this time, in this culture, the heart was considered to be the seat of one's emotions, your feelings, your impulses, your affections. It all sort of came out of the heart. And we can relate to this. We still use the term heart to this day. That person really put their heart into it. Or if you just got through, got out of a, a tough relationship, my heart's hurting. My heart feels broken right now we can understand and I think relate to a little bit of what the New Testament community thought of when they thought of the heart. Jesus taught often on the heart. One of my favorite uh, sayings of his is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that. That's, that's one of his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart centers upon the things that you most deeply value and care about. And it's out of that that we're able to live and have fullness in our lives. There's two different ways that the people in this passage, this Acts 2 passage, might relate to the word heart. I want us to think of this group of people, a couple hundred people maybe, and right before this passage, they've been listening to a sermon from the Apostle Peter. So just to back the camera lens up a little bit more, Jesus has come on the scene. He's been ministering with his disciples. He's put on trial. He's killed. He is unjustly um, crucified. The whole world is dark. And then he's raised from the dead. He comes back to life. And in Acts chapter one, he ascends to heaven to be with the father. He breathes life into the mission of the church. And then beginning of Acts chapter two, we've had this incredible Pentecost moment. Pentecost, which is next week, which we'll get into just a little bit. Start thinking about what red clothing you want to wear to church next week, because it'll be a celebration of Pentecost. That's happened. And then there's this interesting response to Pentecost. Some people are so blown away by this, the speaking in tongues, the tongues of fire, people of different cultures being able to communicate. They're just blown away by it. But the text tells us that there's a group of people whose response to the miracle of Pentecost is very cynical. And they say things as they observe this miracle that are just kind of mean. Oh, these people, you know, they must be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They dismiss the miracle in a way. They say, this is impossible. We reject this. And what I think that reveals, honestly, is that they have had their hearts broken. They've had their hearts broken by the system of religion that they participated in at the time. Maybe they were, they were Jews. Maybe they were coming from another religious background. We don't really know. But they see this miracle, this clear activity of God, and they 
they touch it with their words by saying, no, that can't be possible. Forget it. And I think their hearts have been broken and let down by their religion, by their seeking of a spiritual life. I think that's one group of people that's in this audience that's being talked about, that the hearts were pierced. The second group of people is a group of people who sincerely were following Jesus Christ. They had heard about his teaching. They encountered him. They went to seek him out. They followed him. But then they watched as he was arrested, as he was taken away from them, as he was treated like the lowest of the low criminals, and as he was crucified. And in that moment, if, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time and you watch this amazing man be put to death, of course your heart's going to break. Our hearts break whenever we see suffering in our world, but especially suffering for people that we would say like, why? That, that's a good person. That's not a person that deserves to have all this happen to them. Why would that happen? So two groups of people that are being addressed in this moment. There's the group of people who are cynical about what religion can bring to them, and there's a group of people who are brokenhearted. Even though they've heard about the resurrection, even though they've heard some stories from their friends, like, Jesus is back, it's, it's all okay. A lot of times, until we see it, we're slow to believe it, or until we have it explained to us well, our hearts can't really be healed. Then the Apostle Peter gives this amazing sermon which I would encourage you to read on your own in Acts chapter two, where he talks about why all of this happened. He basically explains to those people that were saying, Pentecost, like whatever, don't call it that. They wouldn't have called it that. This is not a miracle. This is just a group of people who've had too much to drink. That cynical response, Peter meets that with, oh, you think it's that. Actually, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of Almighty God being poured out into his people And the reason this is happening is Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, the Jesus Christ that I'm talking about is the one that you persecuted, ignored, abandoned, and crucified. So everybody in that group has some kind of weight that they feel in their heart. So what is the heart? It's the fulcrum. It's the lever that's being turned or the knob that's being turned, the lever that's being used to bring about change in a group of people. The second thing we need to talk about is how the heart changes. Peter gives this amazing sermon, and then at the end, verse 37, it says, the people were cut to the heart. They feel the weight of this, this sense of responsibility, this sense of like, oh, we did have a part to play in this. It cuts them to the heart and it punctures their pride. And again, as I referenced earlier with my, ser- with my story about being young and dumb and not having any sense of, of what writing an email looked like, underneath that was a sense of pride. And I want to go back to that because for many of us, the culture that we participate in just keeps building up our pride. If you are the top dog in your field, there is no reason to evaluate your pride. If you are the number one salesperson in your company, there is no reason to think you got anything wrong with you. If the proof is in the pudding, why question it? Why ask the deeper question? And I think what the text points us to is, well, you can be as successful as you want to be, but how about your heart? I love that when people come to know Jesus Christ, it's not just this one-time conversion. It is when we do say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you. But it's this constant moving forward. 
this constant uprooting of what we assumed we knew about ourselves or what we should be confident in, and this replacing of it with the things of Jesus. C.S. Lewis has this great line where he says, if our hearts are like a field that needs to have seeds planted into it. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we think, okay, Jesus, you'll do, you'll do right. You'll plant good seed in me, and then I'll be a good person. What Lewis says is, it's so much deeper than that. I must be plowed up and re-sown. Have you had that experience of your heart being plowed up and re-sown? Has it happened to you recently? You lost your job. Someone you love died. Money's getting really tight. All these sources where our pride may be sort of under the surface, now we're having to examine it. And I just want to throw out here, church, if this time of pandemic becomes a time when people really examine their hearts and examine what motivates us and drives us, as hard as this time has been in so many ways, I think that's one of the ways that God could redeem this is by giving us the opportunity to take a deep breath and say, is this what I really want? Is this what I want my life to be about? Will this really satisfy? So how it changes, you got to have your heart punctured. You can't force that. This is how it happens in the text. They get underneath the pride. Jesus gets underneath the pride by speaking through this man, Peter, and the people are cut to the heart. And then why this matters is because we need to be able to say, I don't think I'm where I'm supposed to be yet. There's more for me to learn. You can be in your 80s. You can be in your 20s. You can be anywhere in between. And the journey needs to continue. The opportunity to continue to get under our pride, man, it's hard, but we still need it. This matters because we're not done becoming the people God wants us to be. And in some sense, the word, we never are. And that's okay. Because our God is faithful and he will continue to carry us forward into becoming the people that he wants. I mentioned that uh, the words glad and sincere hearts, glad and sincere, those two adjectives, they are such a lame translation, and I mean it. The word glad there is used only a handful of times in the New Testament, and it means exuberant joy. How do you get from exuberant joy to glad? Like, that seems like a little bit of a stretch, right? And then the word sincere actually means single-mindedness. It means if you can focus your energy and your heart and your mind on on one thing or maybe just one theme, it's that feeling of being able to really concentrate on that, to give yourself fully to what's in front of you. And boy, we live in a hard time to do that, don't we? (laughs) We live in a really hard time of trying to figure out how to make that work. So I want to offer these uh, thoughts to consider as we go into our breakout groups in just a moment. First, we know when we step into these breakout groups, we may know some people in the group, we may not. So we'll have kind of a silly, fun question that we'll post in the chat. So you can just find a way to warm up. We all know how important it is to warm up and get to know the people around us. And then I want to offer this. Two kind of considerations. One is, what's something that's brought you joy lately? What's something that's, that's made you smile, that's felt like such a gift for your heart? One thing for me is watching my kids, watching our kids actually just enjoy being together. 
enjoy playing with one another, enjoy creating these silly games and running around our house and tearing everything up. It, it brings me joy to see them both living in this strange time, but, but doing pretty well. I'm grateful for that. That, that. that brings me joy. What's something that has brought you joy lately? The second thing is, if we're going to get underneath a source of pride, what might that look like for you? I know it's hard to talk about pride. I'm not suggesting that we'll all be sort of adept at this from the moment we step into our breakout rooms. But I believe it's possible for us to say, look, if I feel a sense of pride around my work, then my single-minded pursuit with Jesus in the next week, the next couple of weeks, the next month, is that I want to ask him to help me get under that pride. To have that be punctured so that there's more room for the gospel in my heart. What's one thing that you might want to pursue with single-mindedness to get under that pride? Maybe you've been hoping that you'll have the chance to really develop a good prayer rhythm right now. How might you do that? Maybe just share that with your group and ask someone to check in with you and see how that's going. Maybe it's a desire to um, just spend more time sitting quietly with God. Don't we all need that? My goodness. I know I certainly do. Maybe that's one of your steps. So with single-minded focus, what is one thing you could commit to, one thing you could try to get at that would help open up that space for Jesus to address that place of pride? And we all have them. So before we go into our breakout groups, thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking the time to hear the scriptures. Let me pray for us as we dismiss into our groups. Jesus, we're grateful for your word and for how you challenged the early church to not just do a bunch of religious things, but to be plowed up and re-sown, to have their hearts be changed. Every one of us has a place where our hearts need to change, and for a lot of us, it's hard to think about where we need that change. It feels maybe a little ambiguous or out there. In our groups, help us encourage one another and inspire each other to seek your change. You're the one that's in charge of where we need to grow, where we need to learn. We trust you. If it's up to us, we're just going to muddle through it. But with you, amazing things can happen. So help us, plus uh, the time that we have in our breakout groups. And thanks to the technology that allows us to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.